Thank you, Pat. So we are in John chapter 20, if you'd like to grab those lovely green Bibles that are on the tables at the side there. There's lots of them. We put lots out today. Expectant that this place would be full and look at you all. Healed it up right to the back row. So John chapter 20, it is page 1028. And we're reading from verse 19. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And the Father has sent me, as, sorry, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Are there a few items? Amazing. Thank you so much, Georgia. And good evening, everyone. And welcome to 530 Church. Just to repeat Pat saying that earlier. Um, before I start, I might just pray. Pardon? Five, what did I say? Oh, no. Oh, gosh, we don't want to be confusing that. <laughs> don't listen to me, apart from what I'm about to say. <laughs> anyway, let's pray. <laughs> God, thank you that you are so good. Thank you for this beautiful sunny day that you um, are with each and every one of us and you care so much about everyone here tonight and um, the rest of the world as well. Thank you for sending Jesus to die um, that we can have life and have life in abundance. I just pray that you would speak to your church tonight, um, that you would use me just as a vessel, just to share um, what's on your heart, just for your people. In your name, Jesus, amen. Yeah, so actually we are, as you know, still in a bit of an Easter season at the moment, still celebrating the resurrection and the life that we have because of what Jesus did for us. I actually loved Kelly's word that she came to share just a little while ago, and um, I just really wanted to start with that because, you know, we have so much because of what Jesus did for us. 
We have so much abundance in this life. It's ridiculous, actually. I mean, I became a Christian when I was 18, and I look at my life before versus very suddenly, actually, after when I was full of the Holy Spirit. And my whole perspective on everything shifted. We have life so much to the full. But it's even more than that. Um, You know, Jesus conquered death. Because of that, we have life eternal as well. And just this week, I mean, I'll start on a little bit of a somber note. It's been a bit of a funny week for me and my family, just um, because we had quite some sad news from back in Australia, where you can probably hear I'm from, uh, that a really, really close family friend passed away. Um, It was, yeah, really gutting, actually. Uh, For me, it was really sad. He led my small group um, for a number of years. He was an absolutely incredible man. He was one of the forerunners of Hillsong Church that got that movement started that has obviously had an impact on the world and um, has a new little granddaughter as well who um, was only born a few months ago. So it was really, really tragic, but I guess I'm not sharing this to set a bit of a sad mood because, to be honest, it wasn't sad. Like, it was devastating, but, like, I know his faith. I know his beliefs, and I know his family's beliefs, and I know that they'll see him again one day, as will I. I'll be able to get his wisdom in heaven. You know, he'll get to meet his little granddaughter. He won't benefit from that as she grows up. And so I wanted to start with that because this is amazing news, isn't it? That we have life eternal when we trust in Jesus. It's phenomenal. Like it just hit me afresh this week because I wasn't sad. Like I was gutted. Obviously, I wouldn't see Ian again in this life, but to know that I would see him again in eternity. And I wanted to start with that because sometimes I think this news is so incredible. It's so amazing that it almost feels a little bit too good to be true. And this is where we're grounding ourselves tonight. We're looking at this idea of doubt. We're going to look at the character of Thomas, sometimes known as Doubting Thomas, although I'd like to, perhaps in the course of my sermon, open that out to the fact it's not just one person doubting, it's, you know, a few extras as well. Um, But yeah, we'll be taking a deeper look at that idea of doubt. I don't know how everyone here feels about doubt. I think sometimes we think about doubt as the complete opposite to faith. You know, on one hand, you've got faith and you've got, you know, absolute trust in God. And then on the polar opposite side, you've got doubt. And doubt is a little bit like this toxic weed. It's a bit like, you know, the parable of the sower, where we talk about someone scattering seeds and then it starts to grow this plant and doubt squash it. You know, sometimes I think we think about doubt in this really negative light. It's a little bit like chicken pox or measles, you know. You don't, you're just kind of going about your day-to-day life and then suddenly you're infected. And it's going to take you down, you know. Or else I suppose what I want to talk about tonight is really two things. The first is that we shouldn't be afraid of doubt. Everyone doubts. There's no just one doubting Thomas here. It's, you know, it's a lot more than that. And secondly, we should engage with doubt. We shouldn't think of it as this negative thing. We should really think of it as an opportunity to help grow our faith. So not like a weed, we need to think about it a bit more like a fertilizer. So before I hop into the passage, I guess I just wanted to share one little story just to kind of get us thinking about the idea of doubt, but also about the idea of evidence and the evidence we have for God. So I'd like to think that I'm quite tech savvy day to day. Like actually my job is that I support a social media team. So, you know, I like to think I I Instagram with the best of them. I'm up there, right? But one trend that I think I sort of missed that recently I've been introduced to is podcasting. So I don't, I mean, I'm sure everyone here has podcasted before and you're all over this. Sadly, I wasn't until recently. I had never downloaded a podcast. I didn't know how to do it. Um, But then actually I was going to Wales for Easter long weekend. And, you know, as those of you know who have driven to Wales, it's a long journey particularly in Easter traffic. 
And so I was like, oh, you know, we need something to keep us entertained. And my sister and brother-in-law said, oh, we should listen to cereal. And I was like, oh, what's cereal? Anyway, it turns out that it's this phenomenal podcast. It's literally, you know, it debuted as number one podcast and was up and number one for several, several weeks. It's one of the most downloaded podcasts in the world. And it's absolutely riveting. If you haven't listened to it, if you don't know how to podcast, find out and do so because it's so good. But basically what it is, is this journalist called Sarah Koenig in America um, started this podcast, sort of radio series, I suppose, because she was contacted by a family in Baltimore, Maryland, um, in the US, who had said, we believe that our friend Adnam Saeed was wrongly convicted of murder at the end of 1999, um, as that year closed, that he was wrongly imprisoned for murdering his then ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee. And we think that the evidence is there that shows that he is not the killer. You know, he even has an alibi. At the time she was meant to be killed, we know that he was in the library studying and someone else has seen him. So this journalist, Sarah Koenig, basically goes out there and examines the evidence. She goes through literally piece by piece by piece over, I think it's 12 podcasts, every little piece of evidence around Adnam's case and whether he committed this crime. And I was just fascinated. I mean, like she spends maybe about 45 minutes talking about mobile phone records. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? You know, this is crazy. But I guess that's the sort of attitude I want us to come to our doubts and come to this, this sermon tonight as I'm talking is, let's examine the evidence. Let's look piece by piece at what's there for Jesus. And let's, let's think about it. Let's engage at that level. So I'm just going to go back to the scripture now. I've kind of got a little bit off piste. But um, I suppose the first thing that I wanted to talk about, and I flagged this at the start of the sermon, is this idea that often when we read this passage, and, you know, most sermons that I've heard on this passage really focus on Thomas. You know, they don't necessarily go much further. He's called Doubting Thomas, and a lot of attention is shining directly at him. Now, I think, as you can hear, again, I'm Australian, and therefore I have kind of an inbuilt tendency to go for the underdog, right? So when I read this passage, instantly I was like, Thomas, I'm on your side. You know, like, let's, let's figure out what's going on here and why you behaved the way you did. And I wanted to start by saying, I think it's slightly unfair that Thomas got the name Doubting Thomas and all the other disciples got off scot-free. Because, like, let's be fair, if you go to the start of the passage, so when George just started reading, so in John 19 to 22, what you see there is that the disciples are in a locked room. They're cowering away. They are terrified. I'd just like to point out that they've actually been to the tomb at this point. They've seen that it's empty. Peter and John went. They've actually heard an eyewitness account from Mary Magdalene, who has seen Jesus and, you know, it wasn't like when Tim preached the other week and they didn't know it was Jesus. Her and Jesus have a conversation. They've heard this eyewitness account and they're hiding. They're terrified. If we go on and see what happened to these disciples, nearly every single one of them died for their faith quite brutally. They became courageous and bold and took the gospel out into the world. Yet at the moment, they're freaking out. So... I just don't think it's very fair that just Thomas is called a doubting Thomas. I mean, where's their faith? Where's their conviction? Where's their guts? I mean, even in the other Gospels, it's a little bit more, I guess, pointed, so to speak. I mean, one thing is, if you read Luke, when Jesus first appears to the disciples, he even says to them, why are doubts 
arising in your hearts. He's really specific about it. Why are you doubting? And what I also think is interesting is even after Jesus appears to the disciples, he says to them, come up, touch where the nails have been in my hand. See this wound in my side. It's a bit like cereal. He's really quite visceral with the evidence here. He's like, look at this evidence. Engage with it. It's like he felt that they needed to engage. They needed to see the evidence. It wasn't enough what they'd engaged with so far. So I just want to put this out there because I really, really think sometimes in church, I know this was my experience, you have this idea that you've got these really, you know, faithful believers over here who just get it and they're going for it and they're all over it. And then you have me, to be honest, and like maybe other people feel the same way. That you're like, I don't always get it. It is a bit tough. Like I, I feel doubt. And you compare yourself and it just makes you feel a bit crap actually. You think, oh, maybe I'm not meant to be a Christian or maybe this, you know, maybe I just don't have it right. Sometimes I think as well, we, we put people up on pedestals. Um, one thing I wanted to share was, I, I guess this made me think about this in very stark relief a few years ago when I saw a documentary on C.S. Lewis. I'm sure you all have heard of C.S. Lewis. He's obviously an amazing, amazing biblical scholar and author who wrote the Narnia books and several other books on faith. Uh, my personal favorite being the Screwtape Letters. It's fascinating, kind of his fictional account of like a demon kind of tormenting someone. It's just really interesting. But I guess we put him up there. We quote him a lot. I mean, I've done the Alpha course about six times, I think, now. And like we always quote that, that passage at the beginning that C.S. Lewis said about Jesus is either crazy enough to be like someone who'd fry an egg on his head or, you know, he's a son of God. We quote a lot of C.S. Lewis. But when I saw this documentary on the BBC, it, you know, it wasn't from a Christian producer. They focused a lot on a really dark period of his life. And that was, he actually, um, I mean, on the nicer side of things, he, he fell in love very late in life. He was 58 and um, married this American author, Joy Davidman, and had a really, really happy marriage. Um, but it was for quite a short time. Unfortunately, she died of cancer three years into their marriage. And it really threw his faith. And that's what this documentary really focused on, some of the writing that he put out during that time, where you see his doubt and his pain and his grief absolutely exposed. And for me, it was quite shaking because I'd only ever heard, you know, this C.S. Lewis that's absolutely all over it, who totally knows what he believes. But suddenly, you know, I was reading things like him saying, no one ever told me that, that, um, that fear felt so much like grief. Or he goes again and to talk about Matthew, and I'm just going to look to make sure I say this correctly. Um, you know, there's that famous passage that talks about prayer, and you know, you knock and the door will be open, seek and you will find. And you see C.S. Lewis writing, knock and it will be opened. But does knocking mean hammering and kicking the door like a maniac? Because he didn't feel like God was answering his prayers. Again, I'm not saying this to, you know, put a downer on the mood or, or say something really somber, but I just think it's really important that we look holistically at faith, that we don't just assume some people get it and some people don't. Some people are doubting Thomases and some people are believing disciples. That's not how it works. We all have doubts. This life is not always easy. I'm sure everyone here can attest to that. You have rough times and you wonder, where is God in this? And I just think it's really important that we all recognize that doubt is something that I'm pretty sure all of us will engage with at various points of our life. And we need to run at it head on, not, not be afraid of it, essentially. So then what do we do with doubt? I suppose 
one thing I really want to say from the get-go is that I don't think that doubt is a negative thing at all. I think doubt is such a positive thing because usually it pushes us to engage with our faith in a deeper and richer way. One thing I wanted to share from this passage in particular is you'll notice after Thomas has had that experience, after he's doubted, after he's been like, I don't know, and then he really engages with Jesus and has that opportunity. I mean, again, it's so visceral. Every time I read this, I'm just like, oh my goodness. You know, Jesus is like, put your hand in where the nails have been. Put your hand in my side. You know, after Thomas engages on this visceral, intense level, he comes away and actually he has this incredible revelation. You know, he's the first person in the book of God, in the book of God, sorry, the book of John to call... (laughs) It is also the book of God. Um, But he's the very first person to call Jesus God. He says, Jesus, my Lord and my God. He has a deeper, richer encounter of faith. And even though it actually doesn't say in the Bible that we have today, there are scriptures that are, I guess, less verified or validated by, you know, that look more at the life of Thomas post this experience. And he went off and uh, apparently brought the church to India You know, he had an incredible journey after this. It wasn't just that moment where he saw Jesus as God. He went on to be a pillar of the church in the world today, and he died for his faith eventually. So uh, wrestling with doubts gives us deeper faith. It gives us an opportunity. So I guess then, you know, I I think it's pretty clear that my message really at the moment is doubt is something that's going to affect us all. It's good to engage with it. It's good to wrestle. It's good like cereal to lean into the evidence. And so what I really wanted to finish this talk with is then how do we deal with doubt? You know, in the the here and now, how do we respond? So I guess I've got three little tips that I hope that um, you can take away tonight that um, potentially you can apply to your life. I just like to say they're tried and tested tips because they're definitely things that I've used personally in my journey and there are other tips as well that friends I know who've wrestled with doubt have really taken on board too. So hopefully it'll add some value to your lives as well. The first thing I wanted to say is like, again, in Serial, explore the evidence. Don't back down. If you have a niggle around your faith, don't ignore it. Figure it out. Talk about it. You know, we're so lucky, actually, with the resources that we have in the church today. And, like, hello, we're the Google generation. You're like, you can look for anything. I mean, it can be a bit overwhelming as well, but there's just so much out there. As I mentioned before, I've done the Alpha course about six times, and every time I do it, I'm just blown away. I'm a bit of a history geek, and so I'm always super excited when they kind of look at some of the ancient tests texts, sorry, like Suetonius or Tacitus, and they look at the validity of those texts compared to the Bible. And the evidence for the Bible is just overwhelming. There is far more evidence for the life of Jesus and what happened to him than there is for Julius Caesar, for instance, you know, and we certainly don't question our history teachers. So it's good to question. It's good to dig. I think also figure out what your things are that you need to know about. You know, some of us are really, really scientific, and that matters a lot to us. We need to understand and reconcile creation. And maybe we've learnt, you know, um, I guess, I'm having a mind blank, like Darwinism in school. And you you need to wrestle with that. If that's your thing, then go for it. I can guarantee personally, I mean, my thing really is around philosophy. That's something I find really challenging, particularly around other world religions and why Christianity is better or like why we think we believe it more. But I've wrestled with that. That's been something that I've really dug into. I've researched other religions. I've gone out there and seen what other scholars have to say about it. 
And where I've come back to personally is that I still have a great deal of respect, but I've chosen to be a Christian. And it's not because my family is or because it's my culture's religion. It's because I've chosen it. I've looked at the alternatives and I've decided this is what I want. So engage. Don't back down. Absolutely engage. The second thing I wanted to point out is if you look at the scripture that we've just read again, when the disciples are together, Thomas is not with them. After Jesus and after what's happened, he's isolated himself from his community. He's backed away. He's disengaged. He's dealing with his grief and his questions and his confusion by himself. And what I'd say of you is, again, we are so lucky. I mean, look around this church. It's a full building of amazing people with their own stories and their own experiences of God. You know, don't back away if you've got doubts. And I think often we do that. We think, oh, I'm not not quite as clever as that person, or, you know, I don't really know my face stacks up, and we kind of withdraw. You know, get in a life group, talk to your life group, be vulnerable, be open. I think for me, that's really where I've seen the most growth in the face of doubt. Um, something I really struggle with, just to be a bit vulnerable for a second, is that probably the hardest thing I've endured happened after I became a Christian, a few years after, I had quite a, a really hard knock, and I didn't know where God was in it. And it was really difficult because at the time I was really praying for his guidance and a bit like C.S. Lewis, I'm like, I am knocking. (laughs) Why aren't you answering? Why aren't you telling me the way here? And it really, really knocked my faith. And it's something that had an impact years on. And I've been so blessed by my friends that have just let me have basically a tantrum. So I don't get why this happened. I don't get these ramifications. Like, I prayed about it, you know, let, so Essentially, in having that tantrum and having it out, they've been able to come with such different perspectives. It feels a bit like Job. I mean, I know his friends weren't super helpful necessarily, but having people come alongside him that he could rant and rave to and then come to a place where he could see God. I think it's so important. Like, don't back down from your community. Really engage and lean in. But I guess the final thing I wanted to share, and I really think actually, if you're going to take anything away from tonight, please take this is around, if you look again at the story, if you look at the disciples and their experience with Jesus, I find it really interesting that Thomas basically requests nearly the exact same experience that they have had. So the disciples essentially say to Jesus, well, Jesus says to the disciples, excuse me, come and look at my hands, look at my side, right? Then suddenly Thomas is like, I can't believe unless I look at his hands, unless I see his side. He's basically requesting the same story that they have had. He's requesting the same evidence that others have had. And I think this is really, really important for our faith because sometimes it can be quite easy to compare our journey to someone else's journey and to say, I'm not going to believe unless I have the same thing happen that they have had happen. So like for me, for instance, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I have heard him speak to me in other ways. Um, But I think it's amazing when I, you know, I hear people that have had that. And sometimes I'm tempted to think, oh, well, I didn't hear the audible voice of God. Or in like another amazing story. I remember when I first became a Christian, my friend had one leg slightly shorter than the other. And it was a big issue for her, actually, because she was a runner and she was very, very talented. And it was causing a lot of pain. So in small group, we prayed And I'm not joking, 15 minutes later, her leg had grown. (laughs) It was ridiculous. We literally measured it. And then afterwards, she had no more pain ever when she was running. But, you know, how tempting would it be to say, unless that's happened to me, unless my leg grows, unless I get healed of something, I can't believe in God. 
But what I really want to say tonight is find your own story. Don't feel like you need to have the same faith experience as someone else to get closer to God. Find your journey with God. And to do that, look back on your life. Take stock. Look at the milestones where you've seen God move. And actually, I mentioned that really um, hard thing that happened with my life. In actual fact, me today is because of that hard thing that happened. I look at it and I'm like, what an amazing period of growth. And like, that's the closest I've ever been with God. So, you know, I can, I can change my perspective there. I just think it's so important. I mean, she's not here tonight, I don't think. But Sophie, who recently became a Christian at Alpha, and I were having a conversation on the um, plane on the way back from skiing. And we started talking about prophecy, which if you've not been a Christian before or been around church circles, is actually a little bit weird. <laughs> As I was trying to explain it, I was like, I sound crazy. But anyway, so I started to kind of try and give her some examples. And as I was sharing examples about where I have prophesied, where people have prophesied for me, um, I just suddenly was like, gosh, God, you're really real. I was like, obviously I know that, but just it hit me afresh. I was like, yeah, that's too weird. Like that's, that's crazy the way that he spoke to me there or redirected my life. Or I spoke over someone else and literally gave them the exact same picture that they had had the night before and the same verse. So, you know, it's stuff like that that you really come back to and you're like, God, you are real and you are good. So write your own story. Because I think that's where, when we engage with the evidence, when we actually recognize the way that God has moved in our life to date, we are able to have that same experience that Thomas has had and that I regularly have when I go back and I look again and look afresh where I can say, Lord, my God, I trust you. I want to give my life to you. You are good. There is no safer, better place to be than in your kingdom and in your house. So I hope everyone here tonight does have doubts. I hope that you engage with those doubts. And I hope you also have that experience where you can say, my Lord, my God, because you've seen how he's moved in your life. I might just pray to finish. God, thank you that you're here, that you're a good father and that you love us all so much. Thank you for the plans that you have for each person here. And I just pray that you would be revealing more of yourself as we seek you, as we knock, that you would open that door. Thank you, God. And I just pray your Holy Spirit would just be resting on us now. Just guide us closer to you. In your holy name. Amen.